Uh, but again, Happy New Year, everyone. This is always an exciting time to start a brand new year. I'm curious, how many of you, you've ever done that run thing, like the 5K, the half marathon, full marathon, or you're planning to this year? Raise your hands if that's you. Three, four. Come on, that's not true? 5Ks even? Do it again. Like, I want to see four, five, six, a few more. Okay. All right, so some of you, you're like me. You look and you're like, look how painful that looks. Look at Richard's face. Like that, that doesn't look fun. That doesn't look fun. So some of you are like more like this. Look at this one. How many of you have ever done skydiving or wanted to go skydiving? Raise your hands. Okay, more than ran. It says a lot about our campus right there. That says a lot about our campus. I'm not going to show you the next picture. Because I was, I was told, I was told, Billy, some people don't like to look at all the pictures. Like the pictures of things that crawl and slither. Like not everybody, like sometimes when you show pictures of that, I was told, I want to get up and like leave. Like I don't want to be in the room. And so I'm not going to show pictures. But how many of you, like you really don't mind if it's like one of those big fuzzy spiders or it's like a snake. Like you don't mind at all if it's on you. Like you're like totally cool with it. As many as ran marathons or 5Ks. Like, cool. All right, again, says a lot about our campus. Like, says so much. Here's why I brought all that up. I think that so often we find our identity in what we do, right? Like, I run or I lift or I bike or I skydive or your job. Like, I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. I'm an engineer. I'm a nurse. I'm a, or your family position. I'm a, I'm a wife. I'm a husband. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I think that oftentimes is how we figure out our identity. And yet, I want you to know that you are so, so, so much more than that. Let's take our Bibles. Let's open up to the book of Ephesians this morning. The book of Ephesians chapter 1. For those of you, there's some of you who like, you're like, I love when we go deep, when it's like chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If that's you, man, you're going to be so jazzed about the start of this year because for 13 weeks, we're going to be in Ephesians. Like, I'm not even joking. 13 weeks, we're going to just slowly work our way through. And so we've broken it into two sections, chapters one through three and chapters four through six. Chapters four through six is a different series for later on in the year. We'll talk about that later. Right now, we're going to be in chapters one through three. Chapters one through three, we're going to be calling identity crisis. So Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, and right away we see who specifically he's writing to. He's writing to the church or the saints in Ephesus. Here's why that's important. Did y'all see that? Was it? Everybody saw that, right? I don't know what that thing was. It just did a flyby by my ear, but that was, uh, what was it? Yeah, it was bigger than a fly. It was this big. <laughs> it, was, it looked big for my... Per- anyway, I don't remember what I was talking about. Um, what am I talking about? I'm preaching right now, right? Oh, yeah, Paul. Paul's writing. So Paul's writing to the church. I got so distracted. Paul's writing to the church, which what that means is we can't take the book of Ephesians and go to Lansing and say, y'all ought to read this, or to Washington, D.C., or to the schoolhouse, or to the police station, or to whoever, because this isn't intended for culture. It's intended for us. This is being written to you and to me. It's being written to the church, right? And he, he clarifies that by saying to the faithful in Christ Jesus. This whole letter is soaked 
with this conversation about identity. And then there's a word that starts first to a single word that I, I think is just going to saturate everything that we're going to talk about today. He says, grace, this declaration of grace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're going to go any further when ta we're talking about our identity, we have to understand that we're really talking about grace. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, Billy, what does grace have to do with my identity? And what does the graciousness of God even mean? Like, what is that? And what purpose does God's grace even serve in our lives. Like I understand he said grace in the letter, but what does that really have to do with my identity? And that brings us to our big idea today. The big idea is that the grace of God is for the praise of God. The grace of God is for the praise of God. So today we're going to really dive into verses 3 through 14. Verses 3 through 14. And Paul is going to show us how we are supposed to take our praise in our lives and let that be an overflow of the grace in our lives. First, we're going to see that we praise the Father for adopting us. Praise the Father for adopting A little foreshadowing. We're going to be talking about triune God. And so we're going to see praise to the Father. And then the, and then the, and I'm just foreshadowing. I'll let you see where that goes. Praise the Father for adopting us. Let's start in verse number three. It says, blessed Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved so God's grace in adopting us becomes the motivation that we have to praise him. Paul starts this letter with what's called a baraka. A baraka would be very common in the Old Testament. It'd be very common in Jewish practice. And, and what it means is it means this extended blessing. There's three times in verse 3 alone, three times that Paul uses that word blessed. He says the Father, uh, we should praise the Father because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So then we shift to the location, right? And when we're talking about location, do you see first it says in Christ? In Christ that tells us that when you are in Christ, it's talking about a whole different blessing when you are in Christ. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not in Christ. If you're here and you're not a Christian, that means you are outside of Christ, which means the blessings we're talking about, you're totally missing out on. And then you can fix that today, right? Today, you can get a right standing with God through faith in Christ. But the blessings we're talking about, they're found in Christ. And then second, we see the blessings are in the heavenly places. You know, that tells us, that tells us that we're talking about this place is permanent, this place that's eternal, which is not often what we do. Right? When you set a New Year's resolution, isn't it true that you're like, I'm going to make a resolution. There's four whole people in my church that have ran a 5K, so I'm going to do that. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get healthy, and I'm going to get fit. Or you're like, we're going to have kids this year, so that's the goal. I'm going to get a raise this year. We're going to get a, a, a new car, boat, truck, whatever toy, you know, thing. We're going to get one of those. So we set all these goals. But all those goals are temporary, aren't they? 
Those goals are right here. They come and go just like that. It's like you do it and you're like, oh, cool, that's over, right? They're temporary. But what Paul's talking about, he's talking about blessings that are in the heavenly places. Church, they're eternal. They're blessings of foreverness that we're talking about. And then notice this switch from uh, solo to he blessed us. Do you see that word us? Do you see it? It's not singular, it's plural. He blessed us. Now, Pastor Chris gave this big challenge, this fasting and prayer challenge. That challenge you can do individually. I just want, again, foreshadowing, I want you to know that's not where we're going to stay in the coming weeks. Pastor Chris is not going to go, whoo, week of prayer, glad that's over, we don't have to pray anymore. We got that whooped, you know, we did it one whole week, we're out now. No, we're going to continue this encouragement. So you should be thinking, even now, what does prayer look like? Within the student ministry, what does it look like? Ladies, what does it look like when you come together for a ladies' Bible study? Guys who meet with shop talk, what, what, is, what does prayer look like there? Within your life group, what does prayer look like? What does it look like when you go from me to us? What does prayer look like? Verses four through six speak of the blessing on us using family language. It says the Father has acted in order to bring us to the family. And he did that by speaking before the foundation of the world. He spoke. In verse number four, he chose a people to be holy and blameless in Christ. Verse five, he predestined. I will come back to that word, I promise. He has predestined a people for adoption. I will come back to that as well. For adoption to himself through Jesus Christ. I'm coming back to a lot of stuff, I know. But I will come back to all of the stuff I said I'm coming back to. Here's the meaning. The meaning is before the foundation of the world that God, God spoke, which means this. It means before you could get the merit badge, before you could get the little badge that said, I fasted and I prayed and I went to church and I served and I gave and I joined a life group and I did all these. Before you can get the merit badge that says you're a good girl or a good boy, before you can get that badge, it says that God spoke which is powerful, church, because what that tells us is before you could do anything to earn your salvation or the flip side, before you could do anything to lose your salvation, God showed grace before any of that. God spoke before any of that. Now, we can't bring up this verse. I said I'd come back to it. We can't bring up this verse without mentioning two important words, chose and predestined. For some of you, this has kind of been a tripping point in your faith journey. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you just read that and you thought to yourself, why would that ever trip anybody up? Like, this sounds great. Like, I'm loving what I'm reading. But for others, you've been studying the word for a while and you've gotten into this whole Calvinism versus Arminianism discussion. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. Don't worry about it. But for those of you who do, like your eyes are getting big and you're going, oh, we're going to jump into that. Like, let's do it. And you're getting, I'm not getting into that. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to I encourage you to just slow down. Will you do this? Good hermeneutics calls you to always do this. Will you, will you go back just a little bit and read what's before it? And will you keep reading just a little bit and see what's that? I love the discussion, by the way. Like, let's go have coffee sometime, and we'll chat about it, and I'll hear your thoughts, and I'll giggle, and I'll say, what about this, this, and this? And then you can say, what about this, and this, and this? And we won't ever agree, and that's okay. And, um, but, but, but read what's before it and read what's after it, because I think that you will absolutely agree with this. 
Paul never, ever, ever intended for those words to become stumbling blocks that would create division in the church. That was never the point. Read the whole context. That was never the point of why Paul wrote that. In fact, I think what you're going to say is Paul is writing to the point that you and I need to praise God. Why? Because this is such a clear demonstration of his grace. Such a clear demonstration of his grace that before anything, he spoke. And because of that, you and I must get caught up in this place of praise. That's the point. And then he declares, we've been chosen to be holy, predestined in love for adoption to himself as his kids. Okay, that word adoption carries weight. In the ancient world, adoption was a very common practice, very common. And when you would adopt someone... You would adopt them not because they did anything, like it wasn't anything they could do to like, oh, I deserve to be adopted. It was grace, right? I'm just going to show grace. I'm going to adopt them because of grace. But when they came in, they were part of your family. Now, let me go real slow and be cautious here because, see, sometimes I think we look at families and we say, oh, well, those are your those are your natural born kids or whatever, and these are your step kids, and these are your adopted kids. Man, the ancient world, here's what they did. You're adopted, you're part of the family. That was, and some of you, some of you with adopted families, you're like, yeah, exactly. Like, they, they just, you're, you're kids, right? It's just your family. That's all it is. The difference was, in the ancient world, there were legal implications. You see, if you adopted a child into your family, there were laws, that, depending on the pecking order of who's next in birth uh, in birth ranking, there were laws saying, here's what then has to happen, or here's, what, here's a good example. Julius Caesar was leader of Rome, right? Julius Caesar had no kids of his own, and so he looks around, there's his nephew, Gaius Octavius. So he looks at Octavius, and he's like, I don't, I don't have any kids. Octavius, I'm going to adopt you, and when I adopt you, now you are fully and completely my son, all the inheritance now of all the wealth that Caesar had amassed, of all the titles that he had amassed, now got passed on. In fact, here's what it said in his will. His will said, Octavius, his son, was the main beneficiary of all his fortune. Isn't that cool? Here's why it's important in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, it talks about how you and I were, were rebels, we're, we're aliens. It says that we are those who had not received mercy, but then there's this change that happens as you and I are adopted as sons and daughters. Now, all of a sudden, we become adopted into the family of God. We become sons and daughters of the Most High. Isn't that beautiful? So back to what we were talking about, verse 6 brings this question. God has adopted us as children in his family. Why would he do that? Verse 6 tells us, to praise, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He wants our worship. He wants our praise. He has adopted us into the family. So back to the first discussion. Who are you? That's what you ask every, every new year. Every new year we do that. We, we word it a little bit differently. Here's what we say. We say, well, what, what are my goals this year? Well, here's why you're saying that. What you're saying is, let me see when I look in the mirror who I am. And based on who I am, how do I better become who God intends me to be, right? But it all goes back to who am I. According to Scripture, here's who you are. You are chosen. You are loved. You are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High. 
that should cause us just to pause and go, wow, he is so good. Paul keeps going, though. And then he talks to us about how next we're going to praise the Son for redeeming us. So we praise the Father for adopting us. Now we're praising the Son for redeeming us. Look at verse number 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So remember the where. The where right now is in Christ. And Paul brings out that second part of the triune God, God the Son, right here with this overarching term of redemption. See, redemption in the first century was, again, a word that they would have been very accustomed to. They would have been very used to the word redemption. Because when someone was a slave or someone was a captive, redemption was when you would pay the ransom to buy them back. So if you were a slave, if, if you've been captured, if you were a prisoner, a ransom could be paid and your redemption would take place, which means you would be free. And maybe you're going, okay, but free of what? Like, I'm not in jail. Well, we keep reading. And what we see is we see uh, the redemption is for the forgiveness of our sins, which is according to the riches of his grace. You see, there's a penalty for sin. The penalty is death. So by grace, by grace, Jesus came. By grace, he redeemed us. He purchased us, and it was free to us, but it cost him everything. It cost him the blood on the cross. That's why we stop on a very regular basis, and we remember through communion the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us. This is about our identity. And sometimes I think when we're talking about identity, we get so caught up in the the egocentric part of it, right? Like, oh, we're talking about my salvation, and we're going to talk about my gifts, and we're going to talk about my calling, and we're going to talk about my mindness because I like my, me, mine, me, mine, my mindness. Let's talk about my mindness. And I, I think we get really caught up in that, and I just want to caution you to not go too deep into that home, push back just a little bit, because notice the next thing it says. It says that it was done to unite all things to him, it was done, yes, it was for you, but yes, it was also for all things, all tribes, all nations, all of creation, because the goal of our redemption isn't just so that we have our best life now. The goal is so that we would make Christ the center of all of our praise and all of our worship and all of our adoration. This whole conversation makes us look in the mirror, doesn't it? When you look in the mirror, you have to start with, who am I? And some of you would have answered earlier, I'm not in Christ. I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I'm here. I'm exploring my faith. And if that's what you said, then you probably naturally went in your head to say, so then my identity, I guess, is what I do. You know, I run, I lift, I teach, I whatever your job is, right? Whatever that thing is. And my answer would be like, no, your identity is still based on where you are in relation to Christ. Just if you're not in Christ, then that means you're rebellious. If you're not in Christ, that means you're a traitor to God. And before it feels like I'm picking on you, let me just tell you, we are all in that same boat. We have all been exactly there, traitors to God. Every single one of us, rebellious. And here's what's beautiful is even in that moment, 
Christ died for us. Even in that moment, Christ died for us. When you get grace, when you really get it, it totally changes your identity and your response to God. So earlier this week, I was talking with someone, and we were talking about heroes, superheroes, and then superhero movies, and we started talking about Black Panther. And if you haven't seen Black Panther, I'm going to spoil the whole movie for you, and I'm really sorry, but you've had time. Like, you've had lots of time to see it, <laughs> all kinds of time. So in this movie, there's this fairy tale land, right, Wakanda. Wakanda's not real. For those of you who have seen it, that's, that's fake. There's not a real place in Africa named Wakanda, like I'm serious, because I was talking to Gabe this morning. He's like, Dad, I think people think that's a real place. It's not a real place. Stop. Like, it's not. It's fake. It's totally fake. So Wakanda, so you have this empty throne, right? But you have this prince. And so this prince can now take the throne and he can be king. But in Wakanda, the rule is the neighboring tribes, they can challenge you, right? They can step up and challenge you. So there's five neighboring tribes. And the first tribe, they're like, nah, we're good. The second tribe is like, no thanks. And the third tribe, like on and on, three, four tribes. They're like, no. But the fifth tribe is like, yup. I want some of that. Like, let's bring it. Let's rumble. Let's fight. And so it's a one-on-one fight. And in the one-on-one fight, the prince, who is T'Challa, the prince is, he's getting whooped. Like, he, he's getting thumped. It's not good. Like, he is just getting beat up, right? So he's on his face. He's not doing good. It's looking like all, all hope is lost for this prince becoming the king. And uh, then is the scene that even if you haven't seen it, I think it's going to do something inside of you right now. It's where his mom looks and says, T'Challa, show him who you are. You can almost feel the moment as things start to change, right? And he ends up on his feet, chest out, chin up, and he says, I am Prince T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. And boy, in that moment, it is on, right? So he, he whoops the guy, he gets to be king, and lives happily ever after at the end. Something like that, right? That's kind of that's how it goes. Here's, here's the point. I think sometimes we forget our identity. And I think when we forget our identity, we get in this place. And I just, I can't answer this for you, but I think you have to answer. Have you ever come in here and it's almost like, not because it's hard to sing, but it's almost like you forgot your identity and so you don't sing. Or when you sing, it's more of a whisper, not because, Lord, I'm going through struggles, but just almost like, I don't even know who I am right now. And so you just, you just barely sing. Do you know what I'm saying? There's something when you understand, let me remind you who you are in case you forgot. You're chosen. You, you are picked before the foundations of the world you were picked. You have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. He paid for you to be free, completely free. You get that, right? You have been purchased, and then you're adopted. Now you're a son or a daughter of the Most High. When you understand your identity and we come to this place, there should be no holding us back. Our worship should go crazy in this room. Like, it should shake these very walls. It absolutely should. But here's the thing. Like, if that's what our Sunday mornings are like, if the worship is just exploding out of us because our chins are up and we know our identity as sons and daughters, when we are at that place, changes your homes because when you get home how do you speak how do you love how do you forgive what comes out where's your faith where's your trust where's your peace where's your comfort and church i'm going to tell you that's what you're doing in your house and that's what you're doing here 
It changes the way the world sees. You do realize that the world will see Jesus because of the way we praise Jesus. You see it throughout the New Testament. I'm not making this up. In the New Testament, what do you see in the book of Acts? They recognize that these were two ordinary men who had been with Jesus. I'm going to tell you guys, at the end of my days, I don't, I don't really want to be known for my job. I know that probably sounds weird right now, but I really don't want to be known for my job. I want people to say, there's a man who loved and praised the Lord. And it didn't matter whether it was in the quiet of his home, and it didn't matter whether he was at Starbucks, and it didn't matter whether he was preaching on a Sunday morning, it didn't matter if he was back in his office, it didn't matter if he was, he is a man who truly loved the Lord and praised him with every fiber of his being. When we realize our identity, it changes everything. And it brings us to our last point today. Our last point is we praise the Spirit for sealing us. Look at verse number 11. It says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ may be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So then, Paul moves into the third reason of our worship. We praise the Father, praise the Son. Now we're praising the Holy Spirit, right? This Godhead three in one. And he says in verse 11 and 12, let me talk to one group. In verse 13 and 14, let me talk to another. Because this church in Ephesus is not so different than us. There were people in this church who had different skin colors, people who had different accents, people who had different religious backgrounds, right? You had the spectrum of people here in Ephesus. And so he does in verse 11 and 12, do you see the word we? We, he's talking straight to the Jews right there because there's been some conflict. There's been some tension between cultures and beliefs. The same thing happens today, doesn't it? And so Paul says, I want to show you how we are one under the umbrella of Christ. He uses that word we, talking first to the Jews. And he says we, and then he really goes back and he quotes Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9. He says the Jewish people are God's allotted possession according to his own purpose and his wisdom. And basically says that the Jews can have this right standing, can have this inheritance the same way the Gentiles do through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ, the contrast comes when the other group, he's talking about the other group, which is most of us in here. Some in this room, you come from a Jewish background. Most in this room would be from what would be considered a Gentile background. And so Paul says in verse 13, you also, because what's going on in this church is there are people who don't feel like they're worthy. You know, they talk a little funny. They don't know the same information. They don't, they don't feel like they fit in. And Paul says, no, you also, you're part of this inheritance. But how? How are they part of this inheritance? Paul walks them through it. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, this is the same truth today as it was 2,000 years ago. Truth does not change. Here's what it says in verse 13. First, they heard the word of truth. They heard the gospel. Second, they believed in Christ. They placed their faith in Jesus. Now, this is important. This is important because some in this room, you come from a bit more of a postmodern context, and, and you kind of think this. You think, like, I love Jesus, 
and I want to believe in Jesus. I just don't want to tell anyone else how to believe. Like, I don't, like, they can believe whatever they want to believe, but I think, like, I should just believe what I want to believe, and I believe Jesus. And um, I just, I, I want to challenge you in that a little bit, and I just want to challenge you to love people. And if you love them, you'll give them the opportunity to hear the truth. Then they get to decide. Don't, you don't have to argue them into heaven. You don't have to debate them on everything. But just love people enough to tell them a truth and let them decide. But how mean is it to know the truth and not share it? To know the truth and not tell them, right? And so what we see is we see this sharing of truth. And then look what happens. The result is number three. They are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In verse 14, we see this permanence of the Spirit marking us as God's possession, it's like when you take that wax and you seal it. That's my seal. That's my stamp. It's in the south. They do it with cattle, right? With livestock, they'll brand them or, or tag their ears, right? They're saying, that livestock, that belongs to me. That's my possession. It's mine. This is where the Holy Spirit marks us. And when God looks at you, he says, you're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. So again, identity. Who are you? Who are you? Because maybe you have fallen into that trap of saying, I am whatever my job is. I'm a student. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. I'm an engineer. I'm a... Now, here's who you are. You're chosen. You're purchased by Jesus' blood. You're adopted. You're a son or daughter of the Most High. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So as we go into 2020, my friends, this should change everything. The way that we praise him, the way that we worship should absolutely change everything for us this year. So I want to go back to Pastor Chris's challenge to us. Pastor Chris challenged us aggressively to fast and to pray. I like how it says it in Joshua. In Joshua, it says, consecrate yourselves, for the Lord is about to do amazing things among you. Consecrate, consecrate yourself means to cleanse this. And so I would encourage you, don't get caught up with the one hour a day. Don't, don't get caught up with that. Some of you, you're new Christians, right? You're young. Can you pray two minutes at a time? I think it's more about consistency and intentionality, more so than starting a stopwatch, right? Don't worry about the stopwatch. Some of you who've been Christians for a long time, maybe 15 minutes in the morning, maybe that's too short. Maybe you need more time than that. But why don't you start your day with this? Just start your whole day with, and maybe it's the drive to work. Maybe that's when it happens for you. But just start the day with, Lord, will you just examine my heart? Will you help cleanse it? Because I want to see people the way you do. I want to have your peace in my life. Even when things seem shaky, I, Lord, I just want your peace. I, I want your wisdom. Lord, show me the difference in rightness and wrongness. I need your wisdom. Just pray for yourself. Pray, and for some of you, that alone is going to be a stretch because you feel guilty. You think God's too busy to mess with you. Guys, don't be prideful. Don't do that. Just start by saying, Lord, I need you. I need you to intervene in my life. And then we move to praying about your family around lunchtime. Just start praying for your family. And if you think about your own family unit right now, you, you got some people in your family where they're a mess, don't you? Beside you, people beside you who's a mess. Like you do. So why don't you just, why don't you pray for your family? Because we're quick to talk to other family members about it. We're, we're quick to go talk to the pastor about it. Why, why don't you just go to the Lord? 
Why don't you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to intervene in this. They need you. On the drive home, why don't you pray for your church? Look around, this room is packed. Like, we are filled up in here. I already, this week, not even counting this morning, have heard story after story after story. Pastor, here's what's going on with my job. Here's what's going on with my, uh, my relationship thing. Man, it's stress. I had a voicemail waiting for me this morning that was, it was rough, right? Here's some tension relationally that's going on. I need some, I need some help. We got people who are facing medical things already, right? We're, what, five days in or so? There's already health stuff going on where you're looking saying, I don't know that I want to face 2020 now. Will you pray for your church? Pray for the leadership at the church. Pray for your church. And then the evening before bed, why don't you just pray for your community? And when you say, well, who's my community? Jesus answered that. Who's my neighbor? Didn't he? He answered that. It's not just the people on your street. It's the people you go to school with, the people you work with. It's going to be those throughout Southeast Michigan. It's going to be Michigan. It's going to be our nation. Do you think our nation could use some prayer right now? We're so divided. We're so divided. Would you just pray for unity? Would you do that? Why don't you pray for revival, spiritual revival to go sweeping across our But for us to get to spiritual revival, you know where it starts? You got to go backwards. You got to say, Lord, we bring revival in my own family. Lord, will you bring revival in my church? Give us a fire that we can't explain. Lord, will you bring that to me as an individual? Lord, I need it. I need revival in my heart this year. Let's start this year together in prayer and fasting. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the truth of your scripture, laying this foundation of who we are in you. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We have been adopted. We have been redeemed. We have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, because of that truth, let us start this year with anticipation and celebration of who you are and the work that you have done. Knowing that you're a good Father who continues to work, will continue to work. Lord, we trust you. I pray that we remain faithful in that fasting and prayer time this week. Lord, I pray that you change us as individuals. You change us corporately as a church to be a better reflection of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.